today, I'm focusing on a portion from this week's Harmony of the Gospels readings uh, from the Gospel of John. Uh, I know that having favourites isn't necessarily always a good thing, but I would say that John is probably up there with my favourite book in the Bible. Most likely because John is so theologically rich and I like to read and, and study. So let's pray quickly and we'll get into it. Father God, I, I thank you for the privilege that it is to, to read your word and to, to teach your word. And I pray that you would speak your words through my lips and we would go on a journey this morning to learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'd like to open your Bibles or look at the screen, we're going to read from John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Deep breath. There's a, there's a lot there. And so this morning, I want to journey together through this passage. And my focus is verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. See, it's only 13 words, but within it is so much truth. See, the voice you listen to determines the reality that you experience. So let's get into it. So verse 22 tells us about a festival occurring. And while the premise of this festival doesn't hold a lot of significance for my message today, I do want to give some backstory. See, the festival of dedication is symbolic of restoration and the return of the Jews' liberty. It was the final big restoration before what Jesus would do on the cross. See, Hanukkah is, a, is another name for this festival. And in that, the Jews managed to regain control of their temple from the Greeks. And when they regained the temple, the, the priests would come in and they would light oil and that would burn. And it was a symbol of giving sacrifices to God. And, and the oil that they found, there was only enough to burn for one full day but it was going to take eight more days to produce more of that pure oil. So what did they do? They lit the oil and they burnt the oil. And it burnt for eight full days until they could replace it. You know, they advertise the miracle and they tell it through the generations the Jews do. And that's why Hanukkah is celebrated over eight days. And since then, we have seen the greatest miracle of all, the redemption of mankind. But the thing is, what do we do with that knowledge? Do we advertise it? Do we believe it? Do we listen to the voice of God that we are loved or do we let different voices of the world pull us away? Now, I'm not suggesting we all walk around wearing billboards saying that we're Christians, though it might be an interesting social experiment 
to test the response of the rest of the community. It makes me think, I think the book's called Blue Like Jazz, and the author tells about how he and a friend when they were in college in the States, you know, the full body painter's outfits, they both wore those and covered them in bumper stickers, Christian bumper stickers, non-Christian bumper stickers, just random life mottos, and they would just walk across their college campus and just ask people what resonated with them, what stood out for them, and they were telling the stories of some of the great conversations that they had. So what do we do? Sometimes we need to do something dramatic, but in our general day-to-day life, Do we make the stuff that God does in our lives a regular feature of our discussions? And I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone else here. I need to work on it. But imagine if we talked about this stuff more and the impact it could have. Are we available for God and are we available to talk about him? See, as Jesus was walking through the temple courts, he was ready to offer any insight and to answer questions. He was always willing. He had, like always, nothing but goodwill on his heart for the people around him. But as they gathered and crowded around him, his goodwill was met by ill will, something that often still happens, even today. And sometimes there's a special kind of ill will designated for Christians. Have you ever been on the receiving end of of a bit of abuse or condemnation? You've said nothing, but it's solely because you're a Christian. I have, and it's never fun. You know, Emma will tell you that I get far too frustrated with things that pop up on social media. And Em's very good at calming me and not letting me get riled up too much about it. But, But the thing here is, which voice am I listening to? So rather than fixating on what the world says... I know who I am in Jesus, and I know who Jesus is. And that's the important focus point. See, the Jews gathered pretending to launch an assessment of Jesus and his claims, but their real motivation was to try and attack him and challenge him. You know, you look at the words, if you are Christ, tell us. And then they talked about being held in suspense, and they suggested that They felt that Jesus had been deliberately misleading them or telling them half-truths. The thing is, while he never specifically affirmed his Messiahship to this point, other than to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, he did, through word and deed, present himself in such a way that it should have been obvious. And this line of questioning was a byproduct of their faithlessness and their prejudices against Jesus. See, they they struggled between their convictions, which said he was Christ, and their corruptions, which said he was not, because he wasn't what they had wanted or expected. So, as all logical people do, they put the blame for their unbelief and doubt on Jesus himself, as if he had made them doubt by being inconsistent with himself through what he had said and what he had done. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. See, Jesus wants us to believe we're the ones that make ourselves doubt. The Jews around Jesus challenged him to give a direct answer. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Or, if to rewrite that, it's tell us clearly and without doubt, either that you are Christ, the Messiah, or you're simply like John the Baptist and not the Messiah. Now, on the surface, this question isn't necessarily bad. However, the intent behind the question 
is a little less pure. See, everyone knew that the Messiah was to be a king. And so whoever claimed to be the Messiah would be persecuted and prosecuted as a traitor. And this, I believe, is what the Jews at this point wanted. See, Jesus was was gaining followers and gaining momentum and taking people away from these Pharisees and Jews, and they didn't like it because they were all about being lifted up and, and put on a pedestal above everybody else. And like many at the time, they believed the ideas of what the king was, and that was that they would be militarily dominant and vanquish their foes by force, which made a lot of Jesus' teaching. So love your enemies, love your neighbor as yourself, turn the other cheek. That teaching was so revolutionary and so countercultural, and it still is today, and it led him to his death. But like always when it comes to Jesus, his response is worth looking at. You know, he justifies himself. And sometimes we feel like we need to defend and justify God. You know, when people say that God is bad for letting bad things happen in the world, or they question his nature based on what his followers do, our natural inclination is to to put a wall up and defend him. But he is more than capable of defending himself, and he does so here. See, the life and character of Jesus and the miracles he did are a testament to who God really is. Jesus had told them that he was the Son of God and the Son of Man. Is that not enough answer to the question? See, they pretended that they only doubted, but Christ knew their heart and knew that they did not believe. It is not for us to teach or to tell God how he should teach us, but to be thankful for the divine revelation that we have. See, when I think about the way that Jesus responds here, look back at John chapter 9, verse 39. See, before this, Jesus had healed a blind man. He went to the Pharisees and teachers of the law, this is a blind man, to tell them about what had happened, and they threw him out of the temple. Jesus then went and found the man and spoke to him while the Pharisees were still there. In conversation about who he was, he affirms again that he is the Son of Man, and he says this statement, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. You know, the truth is that Jesus divides people. It's either those who follow him who are his sheep, and there are those who don't. And because of this division, there is judgment. See, those who reject his gift, which is eternal life, end up blind. Now, the Pharisees, of course, are indignant at this. See, after all, they've got all the training they could in the scriptures. They hold positions of influence and they teach others. And, you know, like I said before, they put themselves up on a pedestal. So who is this man saying that they cannot see? But as it is through the exchanges between Jesus and the Pharisees, They are all about themselves. And in our story for today, through their perceived doubt, but calculated rejection of Jesus, they are showing their true sight. Blindness to the things of the Father through rejection of the Son. Jesus says in our scripture today, the works I do in my Father's name testify about me. And here he is showing that he has lived a life according to his teachings and that his character, integrity, love, and the miracles he has done reflect the things that he has said. 
See, no one who does miracles such as Jesus did could do so if God were not with them. And God would not be with and in Jesus to confirm, to confirm a fraud. Think about that. See, the creator of the universe, our heavenly father, because of his love for us, he gives us a great example in Jesus. He wouldn't get us to follow someone who wasn't worthy as a representative. And it also shows us how God interacts with those he loves, that he is with them. Church, be encouraged by this, that God, through Jesus and by the way of the Holy Spirit, is with us wherever we go when we choose to follow him. And in the same sentence, Jesus condemns those around him. See, they have seen his life and heard him teach, but still they do not believe. Jesus then says something that would infuriate them even more. When Jesus tells them that they are not his sheep, it highlights that their unbelief stemmed from who they were, that their hearts were not right. See, they were stuck in faithlessness because they thought they knew better and they were stuck in their sin. And now we get to verse 27, what I think is the key factor in this passage. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And see, the process of listening is important. Jesus doesn't just say hear. You know, we hear lots of things throughout each day. And as you get older, you hear more and more things. You have more and more voices competing for attention in your mind. But listening is an active process. You hear something, and then you actively listen. You take on board what you hear and allow it to have an effect on you. So when Jesus says his sheep listen to his voice, there are two key things. One, they recognize the voice of that of Jesus. And two, they choose to take on board what he says and allow it to change their life. So do you know his voice? And if you do know his voice, what do you do when he speaks? So recently in the Young Adult Connect group that Emma and I lead, we've been going through a series by Pastor Stephen Furtick called Crash the Chatterbox. And in the series, Pastor Stephen talks about the different voices we hear that try and distract us from what God has for us. Things like insecurity, fear, condemnation, and discouragement. And I'd throw pride in there as well. See, the premise of the series is about hearing God's voice above all others. So how do we hear God's voice? Let's look at how Jesus describes the characteristics of his sheep to get an answer. First, they hear his voice and they know it to be his. And he has made the promise that he will make sure that we hear his voice. He says that in verse 16. From there, the sheep discern the voice. Is this of the good shepherd or is it of something or someone else? And you know, and the more we spend time in the word and in prayer, that's how we learn to discern which is God's voice and which isn't. And we need to delight in hearing his voice and act according to it. See, we always know when it is God speaking to us as opposed to something or someone else. Like I said, the more we're in that, that's how we tell it apart. See, Jesus does not count as his sheep those who are deaf to his calls. 
You know, a common misconception that the world might say about Christians is that we've got to tick all these boxes, dot all these I's, cross all these T's, and do all this work. But it's simply that God, who is Jesus in human form, who seeks relationship with us, all we have to do is follow him. See, the word of command here that Jesus says is, follow me, think about it. Whenever Jesus was calling people to him, he would say, follow me. All of his disciples, follow me. To all of us, follow me. He would call them and they would follow. Revelation 14.4 says, follow the lamb wherever he goes. And so we must follow in his footsteps. You know, last time I was up here, I shared a story from Acts 3 where Peter and John put this into practice. They heard his voice through the Spirit and they knew him well enough to know what he would do and that it was him calling them to do it. See, we hear his voice in vain if we do not follow him. You see, church, the direction of our lives is mostly determined by the voices that we listen to. And this is most emphasized by the next part of what Jesus says in verse 27. I know them. See, Jesus distinguishes those who hear his voice as different from others. And not just as a collective, but individually as as well. How amazing is it that the one who died for all wants to and does know all of us individually and calls us to him? You know, what I like about what Jesus says next is that it is unconditional. If we are his sheep, he gives us eternal life. It's not a, I will give you this if, he just gives it. It's free. As humans, we have a living soul, and so we need life. But we also have an immortal soul, and the happiness that comes to that is eternal life. You know, the sheep's security, so our security as sheep and children of God, is in the power of the shepherd who will let no one take them from him. See, we see through this verse that the good shepherd's sheep are safe in the hands of the shepherd. And shepherds will often have large herds and will occasionally lose some sheep and allow them to perish rather than risk the lives of the rest of the herd to rescue them. Jesus, however, promises that none of his sheep shall ever perish. How amazing is that, church? If that doesn't get you excited, then the next few verses will. So I'm going to reread 29 and 30, which says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You know, Jesus' Father... Our heavenly and eternal Father is greater than all. He is greater than any force on this earth, any person on this earth, or any situation that we are going through. And while shepherds might fall asleep, the Father keeps watch over his flock day and night. See, when we hear his voice and act according to his voice, we can trust that he will look after us. You see, Jesus himself had experienced the power of his father upholding and strengthening him. 
So he put all of his followers, his sheep, all of us, into the Father's hand as well. Jesus wants the best for us yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? See, the one who secured the glory of the Redeemer, Jesus, will secure the glory of the redeemed if we accept. So to confirm this security evermore, Jesus concludes with, I and the Father are one. See, no one could snatch the sheep out of his hand because no one could snatch them out of the hand of the Father. His heavenly Father is ours, church. He is good. Like any parent, his voice is a sense of security to his children and he wants the best for his children. See, we have a God who loves us, who died for us, and who calls us to him. Do we hear his voice? Ezekiel 37 verses 4 to 5 says, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and make you come to life. Are we hearing God's voice and coming to life? Or are we stuck like the Jews in unbelief? As we think about this, I want to tell you part of the story of Joshua. See, he's one of many examples of men and women in the Bible who heard the voice of the Lord and responded. See, Joshua is a key figure in the history of the Israelites. He was the man who finally led them into the promised land hundreds of years after Abraham was told by God that his descendants would get their land back. Now, earlier in his life, Joshua was known by Hoshea, meaning salvation, but Moses later changed his name to Joshua, meaning the Lord saves. Pretty cool, hey? See, in Greek, this same name is Jesus. And that then identified Mary's firstborn son as the servant of God who would fully complete what God did in a preliminary way through Joshua, namely to overcome the powers of evil and bring God's people into their eternal rest. You know, as a youth, he lived through slavery in Egypt. All he knew was obedience meant you got to stay alive and disobedience equated to being beaten or killed. And while his life had always been that, his life soon had its course changed because God has a habit of doing that and changing things for the better. See, Joshua was witness to some of the most incredible supernatural events that God has shown humanity. You know, you think about the walls of Jericho and the, the sun standing still in the sky. But even while he was still a slave, you know, he saw the plagues rain down on Egypt and then experienced the parting of the Red Sea, which saw he and his people's freedom from captivity. That's all because one man listened to what God had to say, being Moses. You know, when Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God, Joshua was the only one allowed to go with him. And this is significant in that at this time, only Moses was allowed to see the radiant glory of God. Only the righteous, God's elect from among his people, had that honour. Before entering the camp again, Moses covered his face. The people weren't able to see the glory of God. They knew Moses as his spokesperson. But Joshua saw that reflection of the glory in the face of Moses. Joshua would then stand watch over the temporary tent of meeting that Moses set up before the tabernacle 
was created. And he was known to, when Moses left the place where he could speak to God, to stay. Because Joshua wanted to stay in God's presence as long as he could. And he expected more to happen. He knew that if he heard the voice of God, that things were going to change. I'll stop here quickly. See, church, when we set aside time to hear God's voice, he speaks. He reveals his nature and his glory if we listen. Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 11, verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? When we hear the voice of God, listen to it, and act upon it accordingly, we start to see his glory. More than that, we start to walk with a new authority and purpose. For if we believe and listen to the things he says about us, we are changed. We cannot consistently act in a way that is inconsistent to how we define ourselves. And so if we are listening to the voice of God and what he says about us, we cannot act in inconsistency to that. See, the voice we listen to determines the reality that we experience. So we'll go back to Joshua. When it was time to head into the land of Canaan, 12 spies, one from each tribe of, of, of Israel, was selected to go into the land. And this was a moment of truth, per se, as would they proceed with confidence in the promises of God spoken to their ancestors that they would take back this land, or would they doubt God's promises and his goodness and end up settling for less? Joshua and Caleb were the only spies of the twelve to come back and say that they could take the land. They took God at his word and stood upon the experiences that they had gone through that showed that God was good for his word. So think about times in your life where God has been good to his word. You know, it is a voice that we can trust church. Joshua and Caleb were ready to follow God's voice. And even if logic suggested that they would lose, they were prepared to act. The rest of the Israelites of that generation were condemned to die in the wilderness. Even Moses died before the Israelites entered into the promised land. You know, again, think of the times where God has moved in your life, where he has carried you through the hard times, where he has blessed you, where he's provided for you or your family, when, op when he opened doors that you thought were long closed. Why do we sometimes forget his voice in the hard times? Why do we sometimes forget him in the good times? He doesn't change church. And neither does his voice. You know, God stands by his people when we make the conscious choice to listen to him and act accordingly. You know, Joshua was faithful to what he had been commissioned to do. He brought them into and established them in the promised land. But he highlighted God's continued faithfulness as a good father as well. You know, in Joshua 1, Joshua is charged to be strong and courageous on numerous occasions. The Lord also said to him that never would he, God, leave him, Joshua, or forsake him. The thing here is that, is that this wasn't said to just Joshua. Anything said to him was also said to God's people. To God's people then and to God's people now. 
So do we hear his voice to be strong and courageous, to follow him, to answer that call? See, think it through. God will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. How cool is that? You know, that the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, always has our back. So what is our response? Can I get the band to come up, please? See, Jesus has shown from the beginning of his ministry that he is calling out to us. And from the beginning of time, the Father has done the same. Do we hear his voice? You know, there are so many voices that exist in this world that try and distract us from what God has for us. And sometimes they can be pretty compelling. But it's all a matter of perspective. See, when we listen to God and we know his voice, we know he loves us and that he protects us. Church, we know our teacher, Jesus, is trustworthy. So do we listen? And because of the Father's great love for us, he sent us his son to endure beatings, humiliation, and death for us. Jesus, who is all of those things that we've been talking about, is perfect and he died for each and every sin of each and every person on the earth that has been, that is, and is to come. See, he calls out to us in love and grace and says, follow me. Are we hearing him? Are we listening? You know, the voice we listen to determines the reality we experience. So consider this. Do you know how to hear and listen to his voice? And speak to him in prayer. Ask him to come in. Ask him to speak. Familiarize yourself with the word so that you can know his voice, know his character. Be able to discern when it's him speaking or when it's somebody else. See, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. This is the desire of Jesus, that we would listen and follow. Be encouraged today, church, that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords calls you to him always. To close, I want to read you seven statements that Jesus made through the Gospel of John and during his ministry. If we are his sheep, then this is truth that we believe and listen to. John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9, 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John chapter 10, verse 7. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. John 11, 25 to 26, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? John 14, 6. I am the way, 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Let's pray. Now, Father God, we, we thank You that You speak to us. We thank You that You are calling out to us and You are asking us to follow You. And I pray that we would hear Your voice and that we would know it when it speaks. You know, while every eye is closed and head is bowed, if there is anyone in this place who doesn't know the Father's voice but wants to, that wants that eternal life, that eternal love, that eternal freedom that comes from following Jesus. If you want that, would you be brave enough while every eye closed and head is bowed to lift your hand up? And for those of you that do know him, but you want him to speak afresh, or you've been hearing voices that are trying to pull you away from the love of God and the the things that he has for you, as the band play in worship, I want you to to make that a cry out to God, to to ask him to speak and to, to break through all of that. You know, as we set ourselves to him, he speaks. So Father God, we just thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. We love you, Lord. And I just pray that you would continue to speak and we would continue to follow you and hear your voice and actively listen and act on the things that you're calling us to do. All God's people said, Amen.